0: Um, so we're going to finish up, or we're gonna, not going to finish up. We're going to go through Galatians 3:15 through 23 this morning. Uh, then we're going to take a little bit of a break over the next few weeks uh, through our study of Galatians. We've got our musical next week, and y'all don't have to. let me y'all don't have to listen to me preach. Um, so I won't be preaching next week. The following Sunday is Christmas Eve uh, Sunday, and I think it's pretty much a heresy probably not to preach on the birth of Christ on Christmas Eve. So. Uh, well, we'll have a sermon based around based around Christmas and then the following uh, Sunday will be New Year's Eve and uh, I generally like to do what we call a covenant renewal service on, on New Year on the closest Sunday to New Year's, which will be that Sunday uh, If you don't know what that is, most of y'all probably do if you don't it's just kind of a service of, of recommitment to Christ, recommitment to the church as we look forward to the new year So that's kind of what we got going on over the next over the next few weeks but let's um, let's read through this, these few verses in Galatians. Real quick, and then I'm going to come back and talk about it just, just a little bit more. <clears throat> so it's Galatians three fifteen through 23. Apostle Paul writes, Brothers and sisters, I give an example from daily life. Once a person's will has been ratified, no one adds to it or annuls it. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings as of many, but it says, and to your offspring, that is to one person, who is Christ. And we'll talk about that in a minute. My point is this, the law which came 430 years later does not annul the covenant previously ratified by God so as to nullify the promise. For if the inheritance comes from the law, it no longer comes from the promise, but God granted it to Abraham through the promise. Why then do we have the law? It was added because of transgressions the offspring would come to whom the promise had been made, and it was ordained through angels by a mediator. Now a mediator involves more than one party, but God is one. Is the law then opposed to the promises of God? Certainly not, for if the law had been given that could make alive, then righteousness would indeed come through the law. But the Scripture has imprisoned all things under the power of sin, so that what was promised in the faith of Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. And now before faith came, we were in prison, and guarded under the law until faith would be revealed. That's the word of God for the people of God. And I know that probably doesn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense to most of us, so I'm going to try my best to break it down for you guys. Um, But let's talk about last week, first of all, because what we're talking about this week flows from what we talked about last week. Uh, So we're coming out of a section, coming out of a section from Galatians that we talked about last week. We're taught, where Paul tells the church that this thing that we're calling the law, right, all the commandments, all the do's and all the don'ts, Paul is telling, telling the church that the law has really placed us all under a curse. Y'all remember me talking about that last week? Because to not follow the law, to not follow any law, just one, just to mess up one time in our life will immediately disqualify us from salvation. It immediately disqualifies us from being able to be in, in a right relationship with God. Just one time. Just one little mess up. So that's what Paul was talking about last week. We we're all under a curse because of the law, because of the commandments that have been given to us. Like I said last week, we are toast. We're done. We're hopeless. We cannot accomplish what is an absolutely unobtainable, impossible task of thinking that we could ever, 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 ever remotely come close to keeping the law. In fact, we are actually hardwired to rebel against the law of God. Do y'all believe that? We're hardwired to do that. We can't help it. It's in our nature. We are hardwired to rebel against the Word of God. It's in our fallen nature to rebel against God. Who in here has ever told a lie? I only saw one hand go, Oh, all right, all right. I like it. I didn't expect any hands to go up. (laughs) <laughs> Let's see how honest y'all are now. <laughs> Who in here has ever withheld giving money or other resources to a person in need when you knew very well that you had those resources available to you? Who in? Golly, y'all are good. But y'all have learned something. <laughs> this wasn't supposed to be funny. Who in here? Who in here has ever carried resentful feelings or disdain toward another person or another group of people? All of us, folks. All of us. All those questions I've just asked you. All of us have done these things, and probably all of us have probably more than likely done much worse than these. So you're in that group, whether you like it or not. You are hopeless. I am hopeless. We are all under the curse of the law, and by the law, we are absolutely 100% condemned were it not for the love of God through Jesus Christ. Like we said last week, God was perfectly aware that we couldn't do this, church. He was perfectly aware that we could not come anywhere close to fulfilling, to carrying out full obedience to the law and the commandments. He knew how very self-centered we were. He knew that we were rebellious. And what did he do? Instead of judgment, instead of wrath, instead of anger, he had compassion on us. Compassion, because compassion and love is what makes God God. It's at the heart of who He is. I love the story of the prodigal son, and I I love the, I love you know coming coming close to that last scene where the son has gone out and he spent all of his money and he's he's wallowing around with the pigs and uh, eating behind the pigs, and he says, you know, I'm going home to my dad and I'm just going to beg him to help me out. So, there's a scene in the prodigal son where the guy, where the son is coming down the road and the father sees him, right? Y'all remember this story. And the father, you know, we're, we're kind of, if we were, we've heard this story so many times, we know what happens. But let's pretend for a second this is the first time we've ever heard that story. Or pretend we're in that group of people who are listening to Jesus tell that story the first time. You just know, you just know if you're hearing the story the first time, that man, that father sees that kid coming down the road. That kid's about to get what's coming to him, right? That father's that father's about to, about, about to lay down the law on him, right? That's kind of what we're expecting. But that's not what the Bible says. It says that father saw that kid coming down the road and he had compassion. That's the word that's in your scripture. That's the word that's in your Bible. That he was filled, filled with compassion. That's the representation of God. No matter how much we mess up, God has compassion. So that's our hope. Jesus became the curse on the cross for us. And we stressed that word became last week. He didn't just die for us, He literally became. Now, think about this, man. He literally became a sinner. That's what Scripture tells us. He literally became every sin that had ever been committed by every human being that has ever existed, ever existed during His time, and ever will exist. Throughout eternity, He became a thief. Jesus, God in human form, on that cross, became sin. He became a thief. He became a liar. He became a murderer. He became an adulterer. All of those things. That's the fullness of the gospel and the fullness of the work of Jesus on that cross. The curse was lifted from us because Christ took it on himself, and we can rest today in the full knowledge, full knowledge of our salvation and we can rest today in the full knowledge of our rightness in the eyes of God through faith in what Christ has done for us and only what Christ has done for us that is the unbelievable absolutely scandalous beauty of the gospel so from those words last week that we talked about Paul jumps into our section today And he answers a a question probably that a lot of you have had as we've gone through Galatians. Uh, Why? Why do we even have the law then? If everything that Paul is writing here in Galatians, if everything that I've told you guys, preached to you guys these last few weeks is right, why did God even give the law? Why did God even give these commandments in the first place? If Jesus ultimately was going to come to set us free from them, right? Well, Paul says in our scriptures today that you have to get a broader picture. You have to get a full understanding of this. And in order to do so, you've got to go all the way back pretty much to the beginning. You've got to go all the way back to that very first covenant that God made with that guy named Abraham. Which, by the way, it's important to note that this covenant that God made with Abraham occurred 430 years prior to him ever giving a commandment. Prior to him, according to our scriptures today, according to Paul, 400 430 years between Abraham's covenant with God and the, what we call the Mosaic Law, the covenants and all the rule, the uh, commandments and all the rules that were ultimately laid down. You got a 400 year, 430 years span of time, and there there is, no there is no law, there is no law, there is no commandment. So what do we do? What was God doing? So Paul says, in order to understand all this, we got to go all the way back to the beginning. Got to go all the way back to that covenant that God initially made with Abraham which was a whole lot different than the covenant that he made through the Mosaic law, through the commandments and all that stuff. A whole lot different. It was not a what we call a transactional covenant. In other words, transaction means if you do this, I will do this. If you don't do this, I will do this, or this will happen. That's what we see in the covenant through the Mosaic law. As a matter of fact, there are not any do's and don'ts with God's covenant with Abraham at all. God's covenant with him was basically saying over and over, I will, I will, I will, I will. Abraham received an absolutely unconditional promise from God that required nothing from him with the exception of faith in God. Faith in God's promise. Now check this out. Can you throw verse 16 back up there? 16. The slide right before it. Yep. Check this out in verse 16. And I'm, uh, I hope that I get get this get this through. It's hard for me to, uh, really break this one down. But anyway, I I, I hope it, I hope I'm, doing well with this. Check this out. You get an idea of what I'm talking about. Verse 16. The promises, were, Paul writes now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say into offspring's as of many, but it says to your offspring. That is to one person who is Christ. Paul is going here all the way back to the book of Genesis. And he quotes from the book of Genesis this scripture referring to the covenant that God had made with Abraham. He says that this reference all the way back in Genesis to Abraham's offspring in the covenant with God does not refer to Abraham's many, many descendants, which you ultimately will have but it refers to Christ himself. Singular versus plural. That's what Paul's writing here. Jesus is the offspring. The word offspring, by the way, literally means seed. Jesus is the seed of Abraham by whom the entire world will ultimately be blessed. And as we know, Abraham was faithful. He wasn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but he was certainly faithful. His righteousness before God was not based on his performance. Y'all remember some of the stuff Abraham did? Not so great. His righteousness before God was not based on his performance. His righteousness before God was based on his faith. The book of Hebrews actually says the exact same thing. So Paul is basically arguing this. He's saying, go all the way back to the beginning. Go all the way back to the beginning covenant with Abraham. Faith. Faith alone in the promise of Christ is has always been how God has worked <coughs> righteousness. So if that's the case, if that is the case, if it's always been about faith, we go back to the original question. Why do we have the law in the first place? Why did God come down for 30 years later and give us all of these commandments and all these do's and all these don'ts? If salvation has always been about faith alone, why would God bother giving Moses the law Here's what Paul ultimately says in the concluding. I'm not going to read through this. Y'all can go back and read, read through it again if you want to. But this is what Paul essentially and ultimately says in the concluding verses of what we read today. Church, the purpose of the law is to show us exactly how far we are from God. The purpose of the law is to show us how badly we fall short of God's perfection and of God's holiness. The law is literally there to accuse us. It's there to indict us and it is there to convict us. The law proves to us that we are sinners because a lot of us, let's be honest, don't really think that we are sometimes. But we have this thing called the law. We have these things called the commandments, 613 of them. And if we're honest with ourselves, that they should prove to us. <laughs> they should convict us. They should accuse us, and they do indict us. The law is meant to drive us into total desperation and total dependence on God. It's meant to drive us into a relationship with Him, because that's what God has wanted always, from the very beginning. Relationship. Relationship. Let me let me kind of put it to you like this. And this is this is not a. This is a quote from, from another pastor uh, whose book that I recently read on this on this same subject. Most of it is, anyway. <coughs> but let me break it down to you, this, this, uh, this idea of the law, the purpose of the law being there to convict us. And, we, and I did it a second ago when we first started the sermon. But anyway, this guy writes, he said, you know, he told us, you know, the Protestant reformers, the people who, who, first, who first broke from Catholicism and started this whole Protestant movement a little over 500 years ago, Protestant reformers called these words the law and the gospel. They called them God's two words. Okay, The first word law kills so that the second word gospel can make alive. The first word which is law kills us so that that second word gospel can make us alive. Now what does that look like to us in real life? Well, the law of God and I use some pretty easy ones there in the beginning whoever has told a lie, whoever, whoever has passed up a person in poverty. Those are pretty, those are pretty simple. Here's some, here's, here's some that are a l- little bit more honest, a little bit more harsh. <laughs> so when the law of God tells us not to misuse the name of the Lord, it tells us not to take the Lord's name in vain. That same law also says that we misuse His name every time we come here on Sunday morning and praise Him in the sanctuary, but we ignore poverty and injustice outside the doors in our communities. The law says to remember the Sabbath and to keep it holy. How's your church attendance been over the last year, two years, three years? law says to honor your father and your mother. Do not kill, do not steal, do not lie, do not covet. Do not gossip or talk about another person behind their back. How is that working out for you guys? Welcome the immigrant in your land and love them as you love yourself. Love your enemies. Turn the other cheek. Forgive upwards of 70 times, 7 times. Oh, and by the way, do all of that with absolute pure motives and pure intentions. And let's not forget about my favorite commandment of Jesus. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Church, when I go through this list, when when I... And that's just the tip of the iceberg, y'all know that. But when I go through that list, do you feel like that I have just given you a list of accomplishable tasks? Or do you hear just how much it exposes just how far you, just how far I fall short? If it's the latter, and I really hope it is, (laughs) that's good. That's awesome. The law is doing what it's supposed to be doing. It's convicting you. It's indicting you. It's telling you how far we we fall short. And that's awesome. You're getting it. We're getting it. Here is the good news, church. The law can only condemn those who are trying to rely on their performance of it in order to be in a right relationship with God. The law can only condemn those who are trying to rely on their performance of it when it comes to their relationship with God if you know that you are a sinner and you know that you have no hope but the blood and the work of Jesus Christ, then you are righteous today. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Kevin, come on up man.